Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I'm happy to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Well, tonight's show will focus on writing and the accountability partner. Now, have you thought about writing a book and something is holding you back? Is that book in your head, but you just cannot get it out? I bet a lot of you are saying that, right? Well, I am so happy to have two fabulous people on the show tonight, Anita Henderson and Christine Easterling. Anita Henderson is known by many as the author's midwife. She is the owner of the right image and creator of the Genealogist Writing Room. Now, this is an online community helping genealogists write and share the stories of their ancestors and their journey to find them. Her work with professionals and family history researchers has resulted in multiple award-winning books, and she has helped them grow their overall confidence in their ability to write a compelling story that captures the interests and emotions of the readers. Anita is also a a faculty member of the writing track for the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute. Well, Christine Easterling, she's a retired teacher and a school administrator who served students in Washington, D.C. for over 30 years. Christine is responsible for accrediting schools. She is the former president of the D.C. Retired Educators Association and the author of Inspirational Treasures, 
essays by educators and the students reflecting the joy of teaching. She also wrote A Giant for Justice, inspirational biography of William H. Bill Simons III, which captured a 25-year history of the Washington Teachers Union. Her latest book is titled, You Can Move Your Mountains, Keep Pushing with Your Mountain, Moving Faith. So let me give a warm welcome to Anita Henderson and Christine Easterlin so that they can help you get those stories out of your head and start writing. Welcome, Anita and Christine. Thank you. you. We're happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you. Well, we're going to start with you, Anita, because as the author's midwife, you help people kind of birth that book, right? So Mm -hmm. tell us. Tell us about writing, and where do people struggle most with writing, if that's a good place to start? What's holding people back? Oh, there's a lot of things that hold people back, Bernice. I just say that I'm very happy to be back here on your show. Thank you for inviting me to be a guest, and I love this topic, of course. Um, Writing is one of those things that a lot of adults, Uh, do only when they have to. (laughs) Um, I think a lot of people have baggage still from, you know, high school English class or from a supervisor who, you know, might have given them some negative feedback on a project or a report or something that they wrote. So writing really is kind of an artistic thing for a lot of people, and so um, we approach it as very personal, um, imagine what an, a, a sculptor or a painter might feel about their own work of art. It's personal to them, but it's beautiful to them, too, to the point that they want to share it. And so I think um, people are torn between, you know, wanting to write and then the fear of sharing it. So I think one of the struggles a lot of people have, and I think really most things boil down to fear, but in a word, I think it's confidence. I think it's a lack of confidence where people um, kind of lean on that as an excuse to not write more. That's sort of the struggle. They don't feel confident that their writing is good uh, when it comes to the genealogy community. Um, I find a lot of writers are concerned with the accuracy of their research. They're not quite sure if they did it right or they don't know how to cite their sources or what they should, you know, footnote in a particular article or in a book. Um, Some people also are a little, you know, shy with their confidence in terms of actually being a good storyteller. Um, and we know that people just, our minds are geared, are naturally geared to the story, right? We, we remember stories. Think about from a child, from our childhood. We've been told stories, and that's what we remember. And so a lot of times from a writer's perspective, it's a challenge to actually write a story that um, can be engaging to other people. So it's a personal kind of thing, and I think the lack of confidence is one of the biggest struggles for people writing in the genealogy realm. Yes, but when you say the lack of confidence, I mean, where did this come from? There has to be some some origin 
that people have, I guess, incorporated into their mindset that they can't write, but where did it come from? It, for different people, it's come from different places. And like I said, for most of the people I talk to, it came from school. And this is, you know, I know that Christine can relate to this. She may not address it when she gets a chance to speak, but I know that she knows that people are, you know, sometimes having bad experiences are things that are they find it difficult to overcome, even as adults, from junior high or high school the English paper that got marked up on red, and they took it really personally. And it was really most often the teacher's effort to get you to improve your writing, not necessarily to tell you that you did something wrong and that your your sentences were all terrible. It was really an opportunity for the teacher to tell you there's room for improvement. And for some people instead, and depending on the way that news was delivered, they took it as though it was criticism. And that's a tough thing to overcome. Again, it's like a a work of art. It's like somebody telling you that the painting that you painted is terrible, that they've marked it up and you did this wrong and that wrong, and their feelings are hurt, even, you know, 10, 20, 30 years later. So they're a little bit shy when it comes to writing. Well, you do have two two comments coming from the chat room. One uh, statement is that many often are fearful of criticism even before writing. (laughs) <laughs> it just stops them, stops them dead in their track. And the yep. other is that I agree that a teacher or someone from a childhood could make a negative impact on an adult about writing. And then there's this kind of an imaginary critic keeping us from writing. So exactly. We're we afraid of a- <laughs> what other people might say. As much as we yeah. want to write to share, so for most people we write for ourselves first. But we do want to share our writing, and and I always, of course, in the genealogist writing room, that's the whole purpose of it is to encourage you to not just write but to share your stories. And so we are a little bit nervous that maybe somebody won't get it, they won't find it interesting, or they won't be able to follow the way that I wrote it. Maybe it's a little confusing. So we're a little nervous about whether our writing really gets our point across to the reader. Yes, you know, I read something, and I don't know if it was something that you posted, but they said, well, people don't have a fear of talking, and Mm -hmm. so why do they have a fear of writing? Yes, Seth Godin said that. He says, I write like I talk, and I never get talker's block. (laughs) So uh, why do people get writer's block? Well, of course, we know in the writing realm we don't always write exactly the way we talk. I think it's fine to do that when you're free writing. Write the way you would talk. Just pretend like you're not writing. You just write out what you would say the way you would say it. And then you can go back and fix it. And I think that's one of the things people forget when they're writing is that there is such a thing as a first draft, and it's probably not going to be your last draft. (laughs) So just get it out first, and then you can always go back and fix it. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we are nervous a little bit about writer's block also uh, when it mm-hmm. comes time to sit down and write where you're afraid that the words are going to get stuck in our head and are stuck in our fingers and they won't come out, you know, onto the keyboard. Uh, so there's a little bit of, um, and it probably is imaginary, a little bit of stress involved in that as well. Yes, there there is stress <laughs> definitely for some to just 
to just figure that out. So I know you probably hear a lot of excuses as the author's midwife. So share with us some of the excuses people give for not writing. Mm, mm, mm. Well, Bernice, I'm going to say you probably have used some of them, and I know I've used some of them. (laughs) You are laughing. I know you have because I've used them, and I'm a writer. So um, I I know, like, your lips are zipped, right? You don't want to say anything. And I I wonder if the folks in the the, uh, chat room can type out some of the excuses they have used. Okay, chatters, let me see your excuses for not writing. (laughs) You know you want to write, but I'm going to to rattle off a few that I have heard in working with authors who are writing in various genres and in different industries. And the first one is time. One of the main things that people say is I don't have time. I don't have time to write. I'm so busy. I have my life, my family, my job, yada, yada. I just don't have time to write. Well, I say to that, we make time to do anything else that's important in our lives. And if you feel that writing about your ancestors and your journey to find them is important to you or to your descendants and your family, then you will sit your little tail down and you will write something, something that people can benefit from. So time, to me, is an excuse. Um, Don't feel like you need to sit down for five hours at a time. If you sit down for 30 minutes and get something out, that's the time you can devote. I think, obviously, we've talked about ability and confidence and those things. So I think ability is another excuse, the lack of ability or low ability or whatever. I'm not a good writer, that kind of thing. It's another, I believe, is an excuse um, that people use to not write because I figure you can write something. You're probably on a computer at some point every single day even if it's for personal use, even if it is just answering emails or sending emails or posting on social media, you're writing something that counts as writing. And so you have the ability. It's just a matter of being able to uh, hone it and turn that ability into a storytelling type of a writing. So people use that excuse that I'm not a good enough writer and, you know, they carry that on forever. Um Sometimes when we think about writing genealogy work, people think, you know, nobody cares about my research. Who cares about my ancestors? They were nobodies. They were just regular folks. They were not famous. They were not infamous. They were not wealthy. And so why should I even spend my time writing about them? No one cares. Well, you know, your family cares. You may not think they do, and they may not seem to care right now, like would you try to corral them over Thanksgiving dinner next week? But somebody in your family line at some point is going to care. And if they ever find out that you were the one who who was the keeper of the family uh, information and you didn't even bother to write something down, I bet you they're going to be a little bit disappointed in you. So trust me that somebody cares. Um, Again, I talked about the fact that sometimes people say they don't know how to cite sources, but we know there's dozens of resources out there to teach you how to do that. So that's just an excuse. Um, organizing. A lot of times people think, you know, they they just have so many ideas in their head that they just have trouble organizing those thoughts and those ideas and those notes and the stories. And so, you know, there are ways to address that also, but I think that's an excuse. If you use that as as a reason, quote, unquote, to not write, it becomes an excuse because there's ways to organize those ideas. 
and, and kind well, of related to that. You want to hear what some fact. of the chatters are saying? Yes, I do want to hear oh, what they're, they're talking saying. to you. Okay, so mm-hmm. here we go. Uh, I have to organize my notes first. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nobody really wants to read this. I'm just writing this respond? for me, not for a wide audience. <laughs> Are you hearing yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> I'm hearing that. And that one in particular is interesting about the fact that, you know, it's not for a broad audience and that kind of thing. Well, most of us are not going to make it onto the New York Times bestsellers list, okay? Most of us are not going to win a Pulitzer Prize for literature. It's okay. That's just like telling a young person who's great in sports when they're in school that they shouldn't even bother to try out for the team because they'll never make it. There's so many other people who are trying to make the team. Well, so what? Your story is your story. It doesn't matter that, you know, the masses of the American population don't read it. You're writing for a specific audience, and that's a whole other topic. But don't worry about the fact that everybody's not going to read your story. It's okay. Okay, and then we have this comment about the grammarian, someone oh. who will call you out <laughs> <laughs> on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Well, okay, so there's such a thing as spell check, and there's also when you're writing longer works other than just a social media post or a uh, an email to somebody. There's such a thing as a copy editor. And uh, Bernice, you and I, and I'm sure Christine also knows the value of having someone else, and that's really what this show is about, take a look at the words you write. And again, I'll say that first draft of what you write, whether it's a short article or a blog post or a book, the first draft of it is not going to be your last draft. Actually, it better not be your last draft. Your first draft (laughs) is just to get it out on the paper. And then you can go back. You can do some fixing on your grammar and your spelling and your punctuation. And then, of course, you're going to share that work with at least one trusted person, if not a few, and they will assist you in making it better. Don't be afraid of that because ultimately we want to share those stories. And so sharing them with that accountability partner or what I call a beta reader's, Um, is what's going to help improve the work so that more people can enjoy it, and it's the best work you can put out. Well, since you've mentioned accountability partner, we're we're going to get to that, but I want you just to give us maybe a couple of tips before we go on break, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about the accountability partner. Tips. Hmm. I yes. think what what can you tell folks? I I, I will go with my go to tip, and anybody who's okay. ever heard me speak anywhere at Maggie or anywhere else you've heard me speak, you probably already know what I'm going to say. So I wonder if anybody will jot it down in the chat room. But the very first tip I would, or the most important tip I think I would share with people who are starting to write, especially if organization is an issue, is to outline. You have to outline, outline your work. It doesn't mean that you got to do the Roman numeral stuff and all of that. That's not necessary. But just make a couple of key points for what you want to cover in your work, okay, no matter how long or short it is. An outline will help you get from the beginning to the end. So that's tip number one. 
And then with regard to genealogy writing, I say gather the information that you have. Um, you have some documents. You have some DNA results. You have some stories and photos and things like that. Gather what you have and tell the stories from the documents and the data and the information that you already have. And then I think really the third point is uh, get some encouragement or some support from somebody, right, uh, to help yes. keep you going, whatever it is you need to keep you going. And oftentimes it's another person, that one person who really believes in you who just says, go ahead and, and get it done and I'm counting on you. Sometimes that's what really helps, and, and that could be your accountability partner. Okay. Okay, so we're going to take a break, come back, because we're going to continue this discussion, but this time we're going to talk about an accountability partner and what does that really mean. Okay, everyone, quick break. Hello, Christine. Christine. Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Well, you just finished listening to Anita Henderson share with us tips as well as reasons why some people just can't get it going. So she mentioned right before we went on break about an accountability partner. And so we're going to talk to Christine Easterling to find out from her what does that accountability partner do and why is she on to tell us about the accountability partner? Hi, Christine. Hi. Well, uh, everyone needs an accountability partner. You just need someone to talk to. But before I get to that, I, I, I motivate people to write books. Some people do not understand all the reasons why people write books. And number one, 
you can write a book to further your career. You find many college professors will write books to to further their careers. Tell life stories. Everyone has a life story to tell. Uh, you you will write to further a cause, maybe the civil rights movement or something. That's a reason why you should write. Uh, to record local history before it's forgotten. I once did um, uh, a Giant for Justice uh, history of the Washington Teachers Union because I didn't want that history uh, to be lost. You will also write uh, because you have knowledge to share. Uh, Some people can write for entertainment. Uh, you can write to instruct. I did a book called uh, Miracles of Jesus, and it was instruction uh, to fulfill an inner need. Some people just love to write, and it fulfills a special need. Now, accountability. You just need that person that you can confer with at any time. Uh, it's someone that you trust, someone that you have something in common with, another person who's interested in writing, and you work out a plan. Uh, let's talk once a week about my book, and uh, uh, let's do it through email, or let's just talk at 9 o'clock at night. Um, I serve as an accountability partner uh, with a friend of mine in Richmond. Uh, She's writing uh, poems about the 60s. And I called her, oh, what's your last poem? Tell me about it. Oh, I like that. Did you do another one? Okay. What are you going to do next week? I'll talk to and sometimes I might see something and I'll send it to her and say, oh, what about this? Did you do a poem about this? Uh, And it really works. And I've got to tell you that uh, uh, I'm Bernice's uh, accountability partner. Uh, She has finished a book in just a couple of months. I got so interested in her story that I was calling her, what did you do next? Who were the witnesses? So I want her to tell you about the book she just finished writing, and I'll tell you how I served as an accountability partner for her. Well, yes, it is a book that I have had in my head. I would say for at least seven years. And I have told my story over and over again. It's about my great-great-grandfather's land. And it started with my 100-year-old grandmother telling me that her grandfather had land. And so I shared this story with Christine. And Christine said, oh, we got to get that book written. (laughs) (laughs) And so 
So, Christine, I want you to kind of map out what you did with me. Well, I I, I was first. I, first of all, I'm interested in history, but her story was so much like a soap opera that I was waiting for the next part of the story. So I would call her Bernice. Uh, what do you have? And she would say, Oh, I'm going out of town this week. And I would say, Well, when will you be back? And I would call her, Oh, you're back. Okay, now what about the witnesses, Bernie? She says, oh, I've got that. She would email that to me, and I would read it, and I would call her, and we would talk about it. And then uh, one time she was in um, she was in a library uh, with microfish, and she said that she could hear the machine moving. And I went, okay, tell me all about that. Uh, She would email it to me. I had a file, and I would drop it in. But I would read it and call her back, and sometimes we would just talk about it. But um, uh, she mentioned witnesses to the land that was sold, and I went, who did it? Tell me about it. So I really got into it, and we did email almost every week. And uh, we also talked about her story. It is just so interesting. And now she has found uh, a document that I just, I love that she found it, something from the 60s. Uh, So tell uh, tell them about that document because I was really interested in it, and I'm sure she's going to work even harder with that document. Which document? Because I found so many documents. The letter. The letter. Okay, okay. I have a Bible, an old family Bible that my mother tracked down. In that Bible, between the scriptures, was a letter that my grandmother wrote to her aunt in 1961. Now, the reason I had that Bible is because I wanted to verify that my great-great-grandfather really did exist. And my mother said she thought that his name was in this old family Bible. He was born in 1855, and that was written in the Bible, and he died in 1909. As I was going through this Bible, there was this letter, and my grandmother wrote it to her aunt. Now, this is the interesting thing about when you're writing. You tell other people about what you're doing. And so I went to a conference in Louisiana, and I told somebody what I had, that I had this letter. And the person, and I said, what I really need is a picture of the person that the letter was written to. Well, to make a long story short, I received the picture in the mail today. And now that's part of that story because it's something that I never thought I would ever have, and I'd never seen my great-aunt. And this is my great-grandmother's sister, and that's who the letter was written to. That was wonderful. We talked about it, and I said, oh, send it to me. I really want to see that piece of history. 
So you can see that she's doing this purposeful writing. She's uh, recording uh, the local history before it's forgotten, and that's one of the reasons you should write. But we talk back and forth, and if I haven't heard from her in a week, I will call her, what's next? What do you have for me? And this really works. Uh, it works with email. It works if you're going to chit-chat also. Now, the latest thing that she did was to do a query letter. And uh, and we won't talk about that right now. You're not not going <laughs> to talk go, about how continue. far we've gotten. No, no, no. We're but, not going to talk about uh, the query letter. <laughs> I think that what you should do, those of you who are interested in writing, there's one thing you do that I told Bernice not to do. I said, I just want you to write. Do not try to write and edit at the same time. Anybody can edit your work. You can edit it later, but just free write uh, and do not stop to erase and capitalize and punctuate, you'll lose your thought, and there's your story, and then you've got to try to come up with it again. So uh, I knew that I was getting this perfect information from her, and I said, do not edit yet, just write edit to later. So and uh, I really think that's very good advice because one of the things I I said to Christine was I'm going to write a thousand words a day. And I would wake up at five o'clock in the morning and I would write until twelve. I would not eat, I would not drink, mm-hmm. not even a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Because I mm-hmm. had my accountability partner waiting for my chapters. And she would call me. Now, when you get an accountability partner, and Anita, you may want to chime in here. Uh, when you mm-hmm. get an accountability partner, there has to be some some kind of commitment on, mm-hmm. on both parts. Right. And there has to be trust with the person that you're working with. What do you think, Anita? What what else do people need to think about when they're looking for somebody to, to assist them? Well, I think you're absolutely right. There does have to be trust. I think that you need to know that you're choosing. So as the writer, um, you need to make sure you're choosing someone, obviously, who is positive and supportive, right? You don't want somebody who's always got the, you know, negative nanny thing going on, right? <laughs> you want mm-hmm. them to, even if they have some criticism, that they are able to give it to you in a way that you can receive it. So it kind of depends on your sensitivity and all that stuff, too. But, you know, um, you also want to, I guess, choose somebody who's, in, who's a reader, and who's interested in reading stories. So I, I believe it or not, I do find uh, writers who fall short uh, and don't get what they need from accountability partners. They never follow through the process because they pick somebody who's not an avid reader. Um, you think that that will be a no-brainer, but sometimes people just don't think of that. Not everyone loves to read. And I think to get the most and really get a con- some consistent feedback and involvement, interaction, engagement from a, an accountability partner, pick someone who reads a lot. Otherwise, them reading your writing is going to feel like a burden to them, and they won't get back mm-hmm. to you when you need, you know, when you need to hear from them. Um, so 
you know, people who are available to you and interested in what in what you're writing. It always helps if you can find somebody like a Christine who has, you know, an educator's background and who, you know, can ask you questions that can help draw the story out of you. Um to say, well, so tell me what it was like to be at the microfiche right. machine. What did it sound like? What were your hands doing? What did you see? Who else was there? You know, who can ask you questions that might help you describe a scene so that you didn't, so you don't just write down, well, I went to the archives and I sat down at the microfiche and I found a document. Right. But someone who, like Christine, who can draw that information out of you, what did it feel like? How did you feel? What were the emotions? That kind of thing. Questions are always good to help you write better. Right. Now, there's a comment here, and uh, this is from True, and she says she gets frustrated because she's always trying to edit on the spot. No. Mm. Never. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. Just write. And, again, I think if you start, if you use an outline, It is very hard to do. I think if because you use an outline. Because we're so accustomed to erasing and spelling correctly and putting the commas and the quotation marks. That can be done later by, by, by you or anybody who can edit. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. don't break your thoughts by erasing and trying to think of the right quotation marks. Yeah. Don't well, fix it while you're a, writing it. Comment. Just write. Right. right. Now, there's a comment. Uh, should you write as you research? What do you think about mm, that, Anita? Mm, mm, mm. You know what I'm going to say. I think writing time is writing time. Research time is research time. All right. I will always tell genealogy writers that you have enough research already done to start writing your story. You have enough to start. You may not have enough to finish, but you definitely, 99.9% of the time, have enough to start, okay? So you have the foundation of something. You have a document. You have a story, family lore. You have a picture. You have some DNA results. You have your own curiosity. Those are all great places to start writing, okay? Mm-hmm. Again, I'm going to tell you, when you have an outline, you know what comes next. And and people oftentimes say, well, I don't need an outline because I'm just writing a short article. I don't care. If you don't know what you're writing about, like what's coming next in your tale, in your story, then you either will not write enough, which means you'll write two paragraphs about your great-grandma, and you know you know more than that, or you won't, you'll write so much that you won't know when to start. You'll sound like a run-on sentence. You just won't know when to stop. So um, have an outline, but um, make sure that you bring all of your research to the writing table, whatever you have, and during your writing sessions that you're going to plan, don't just write when you quote-unquote feel like it because sometimes you need to write even when you don't feel like it. If you have a deadline or a goal that you want to reach, So bring all that to the table, and when it's time to write, write. When you go away and, you know, you got the weekend time or you're at a conference or something like that, then go ahead and do your research then. Let research time be research time and writing time be writing time. Well, we have a comment coming in. True, I'm going to tell on you. True said, Lord, (laughs) 
I got a lot of shame right now. <laughs> I have a book and I'm just being lazy. Is she well, being lazy? It. She, she said probably it. is. If she 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 made the confession right there. True, we forgive you. You are not alone, honey. Okay. Um, there's a lot of lazy writers out there, but you have to find the reason within yourself to keep writing and to finish writing. Um, is it to share with, uh, you know, your children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, whomever? Is it to fulfill a dream that you have to really just to tell the story? It may not be about anybody but you, and that's okay. Uh, is it to pass along to somebody else later? Think about that, and that should motivate you to continue to write. Um, it, it's completely up to you. If you know you're being lazy, you need to find a way to get out of that laziness and write. Well, uh, one we thing have, you can uh, do uh, comment. What did you say, Christine? One thing you can do is find a time when the telephone is not ringing. Uh, I find that between 5 and 8 in the mornings are best for me. I have not looked at the news, so my brain uh, is not focused on something terrible. Uh, I'm refreshed because blood has circulated through my brain. So once I decided that that's what I was going to do, it was great for me between 5 and 8 and I could always get my work done because I was not doing anything uh, uh, during that time. Uh, some people like to write at night. Uh, might not be good because you're, you're, you're dealing with a tired brain. Your brain is refreshed uh, overnight, and you wake up ready to get started without any interference. So try uh, early mornings uh, when your brain is refreshed. And, and then uh, different people have different different times when they feel mm-hmm. they can just sit and concentrate. Uh, you know, Lucy is saying she has three books in her head, but yes. have only helped <laughs> others edit their books. What's wrong with me? This is Lucy. What's not? Lucy, your books aren't doing anybody any good if they're in your head. Yes. (laughs) They're really not. You're not serving anyone. You're not blessing anyone with your story with books in your head. I find in the genealogy community, if if anybody out there is a member of a, a genealogy society, we do this thing when we go to our chapter meetings and conferences and things, and we will blabber ad nauseum about our genealogy stories. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you. You guys can imagine that people come up to me all the time and want to tell me their story. And I'm always wondering, why don't you write this down? You can write it down exactly the way you told me and fix it later. Yeah. So there is no shortage of stories among family researchers, family history researchers, and genealogists. No shortage of stories. I think there's a shortage of confidence a shortage of valuing our stories, especially among African-American genealogists. But overall, probably uh, amongst uh, other people across the board too, we just think that no one cares, and I think that's really, really sad. And let me just get on my soapbox for a second and, and that it really saddens me and sometimes frustrates me when we 
see that other people have told a story, whether it's about uh, our particular race of people, a culture of people, or a particular town that we know well, or some era that we've studied, you know, and they left out this part or that part, or they forgot to tell the story about my family or my experience. Well, I think it's kind of like people who complain about politics and they didn't vote. If you don't take the time to tell your own story, I don't well, feel like you don't really get a chance to complain about other people telling, telling their half of the story. It's your responsibility to tell your family's story, and I highly encourage you to do it in whatever way you decide to. I, I totally agree. You know, I'm looking at I Am the Universe. I Am the Universe says I have circa five or six books never published. Okay, I Am the mm-hmm. Universe, what's going on? Why haven't you published those books? You know, we have stories that need to be told because you're yeah. right, Anita, we do complain. Why have we been left out of this community? Why aren't we mm-hmm. there? You know, and it's because if we're not writing the story and you have the community and they're writing their story from their perspective, then it's your responsibility to go in and write it from your perspective about what's going on in your community, what happened with your family. And so this is kind of what we're all about right now. Now, Lucy is telling us she wants to write a family history book. Not so much for public consumption, but for prosperity. Prosperity. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a great hey, idea. I think, that's a, I think that's idea. a wonderful I a idea. Yeah. I have a client who finished the second the version, the second edition of her family book. You'll never see it on Amazon. You won't see it in any bookstore or library. She wrote a beautiful book about her family's history. The first thing came out in hardcover, and the next one she's doing in softcover. But her family loves this book. I mean, they asked for the second edition because they wanted her to put some more stuff in it. Don't think that your family won't support you in this and that they won't be interested in your story. And, again, whether it's a book or a booklet or a newsletter or a blog that you start, find some way to write that down. Video is great, and talking to each other is wonderful. We have a wonderful oral tradition in the African-American community. I think it's truly valuable. Um, We live in a world, however, that more so values other media, and so we've got got to put some value on the written word. Very, very important. People still do read, and so you got to write down those stories to share them. Well, there's one thing that I try to uh, help people with. I ask them to to make four folders. Sometimes ideas will come to you in the middle of the night, during the day, while you're doing something else. Write those little notes down and drop them in a folder where you think they belong. Now, you're going to have a folder on the front that, oh, this would be good for the cover. So you got a cover folder. Then you've got another folder uh, where you say, all of this is going to go into the body of my book. Every time you think of something, put it on a little note, drop it in that folder. Then you'll say, oh, this is my back matter. might go in the bibliography or the appendix or something. Drop it in the folder. And then every 
once in a while you pick up the phone and it's got a lot of stuff in it and you want mm. to put it together. So uh, keep those notes and those little ideas that will come to you in the middle of the day or in the middle of the night. Jot it down, drop it in a folder, and then uh, you have all of that information and you can take one folder at a time depending on which one you feel like working with uh, uh, that day or night. Right. And then I'm seeing uh, Ellen is saying that she published with genealogical journals to ensure that it's out there and then realize there's enough for small books along with blog pieces. There are bits to pull together, surprising what one can do over time. I agree. Which is so true. Yeah. Which is so true. Very, very true. Well, Anita, why don't you tell us about the genealogist writing room? Oh, I'd love to. Genealogist writing room is an online community of um, family history researchers and genealogists who uh, are encouraged by the community and by me to really write the stories uh, that we are researching and discovering of our ancestors. And then, of course, also write our own stories as we journey to find this information and uncover the bits and pieces of life that has led to who we are today. And so um, we have monthly writing assignments to spark our creativity that we can write about our research and our experiences. There is a monthly lesson, video lesson, with tips on writing to help writing be a little bit less intimidating for you and easier as you take the writing journey. And then we have special features from time to time like Story School and Blogging Bonanza that we've had this year uh, to give us some different insights on how to write well and, again, how just to be more comfortable with writing. It should not be a scary thing. Um, we also have a Facebook group, and it's Genealogist Writing Room on Facebook. And then uh, we welcome any of your listeners that research at the National Archives and beyond to join the Genealogist Writing Room. You can find more about it at genealogist, plural, genealogistwritingroom.com. Okay, so what kind of resources or books would you all recommend in addition to you mentioning the genealogist writing room? Christine, do you have any books that you have found to be helpful? Yes, I have two books I'd like to recommend, and it has something to do with what Anita said. You must have an outline. Well, I say you must have a book proposal. And that book, uh, the outline is included in that book proposal. Uh, it, uh, there's an outline included. Your title is included. Uh, how you're going to market your book. Uh, when you write that proposal, you thought out the entire book from beginning to end. So I recommend the um, How to Write a Book Proposal by Michael Larson, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Larson, third edition. I also recommend 
how to write a nonfiction book proposal, and that's by Stephen S T E S T E T H E N Met M E T T E E. And once you work through the book proposal, you will be very clear on where you're going and how you're going, because your outline becomes a part of that. So if you do the book proposal, you will be well on your way and you will not be stuck on, oh, what do I write next? Uh, Oh, this is not organized. This should be at the end. So how to write a book proposal, I think, is great. Okay. Uh, And, Anita, do you have any books you'd like to recommend? I do have a couple of books, and I, I love to recommend these books because they're just wonderful insights on the craft of writing and, again, lessening that intimidation factor. So we're all familiar with Stephen King. We know him for his movies and his books, but a lot of people don't know that he actually wrote a book called On Writing, A Memoir of the Craft. And that's by Stephen King. And who better to learn from in terms of writing than Stephen King? I mean, he's a multi-published author with um, so many of his books that have been turned into movies. And his approach to writing is very insightful. So I think you'll enjoy the read. It's called On Writing by Stephen King. And then the second book I'll recommend is uh, called Bird by Bird, so a bird that flies in the sky, Bird by Bird, uh, by Anne Lamott. And her last name is L-A-M-O-T-T, Anne Lamott. And she is just, she. the book tickles me in terms of the way she talks about writing and the writer's life, you know, sort of the things we take so personally as writers, she says, is small stuff. And she gives a really interesting insight into how to approach your writing and be creative about it and not wear your feelings on your sleeve. So this book is Bird by Bird, and the author is Anne Lamott. So I think you'll enjoy both of those. They're short reads. They're both in paperback. They're both available on Amazon.com. So I highly recommend those two really good reads. Right, and I tell you, Right before I started rewriting or writing, I read uh, On Writing by Stephen King. Mm-hmm. And I just love what he had to say. And I said, mm-hmm. if I could just do that, you know, just write. And I have to force myself to write. I really do. I have to force myself yeah. to write. But mm-hmm. once I get into that zone, I'm in the zone. And you can tell it because you, you look at my writing and say, okay, Bernice is in the zone. And so <laughs> <laughs> you can tell <laughs> because right now I'm just writing. I'm getting those words out. I'm Free getting write. them out mm-hmm. of my head. And for all of you chatters, just think about this. You have the story. And one of the things we do as genealogists, we keep digging. I love to dig. I mean, mm-hmm. if I could hunt all day, I would hunt. But I mm-hmm. do understand that I have to stop hunting and recognize that I need to just start talking about what I'm doing now and what I'm finding and how does it feel and what does it look like. 
And that's what we need to think about, genealogists. I mean, we're here, we have these stories, you know, but, hey, let's let's talk about writing. Now, Chatters, do you have any questions or comments you want the uh, our two guests to respond to before we close out tonight? Oh, we have Angela saying that she's typing a proposal as she listens. Okay. Oh, Angela, you're multitasking. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) Yay. We're excited. We're excited. We want to see that book. I I would love to see in 2018 at least 10 to 20 books come out. Great. Can can we do that? You you think we can do that? I would love to see it too, Bernice. I'm with you right there. I would <laughs> so love with to see us. it. And 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 we need to also talk about well, who can we get to become our accountability partner to help us to help you mm-hmm. get those books out of your head? Okay, Choose so Angela's one. saying let's make it happen. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's make it happen. So before we close out tonight, before we close out, okay, there's one question here. At what point does a project move from nonfiction to fiction? Well, that's a big question. That I would have to say it depends on a lot of different things. Um, and if we're talking about specifically a genealogy project that you're writing about, maybe you started out, uh, writing, you know, based on some documented uh, research that you've uncovered, maybe, you know, a death certificate or a census document and some other things you're researching in, with a, an ancestor. And then you feel like you got to fill in the blanks with some things like dialogue because you weren't there, you don't know what they said, or some things you sort of have to fictionalize. There's sometimes overlap. Uh, in genealogy work. So don't be afraid of that is what I'll say to that uh, question. Don't be afraid of it. If you're making up the majority of the book, then it's fiction. If the majority of it is uh, based on facts, then it is nonfiction. But, you know, if you have to do a mixture of both, I suggest you let your readers know early on that some of this uh is uh, imagined based on some information that I've uncovered, something like that. Well, you know what, both of you, we have a question. So I'm going to ask the question, and then, Christine, I want you to respond first, and then you, Anita. What got both of you into writing? What was it? Well, I've always... um, gravitated toward writing. Uh, If I were in an organization or something, I would serve as the reporter or something of that nature. But uh, I always liked writing. I think that was God's gift. I gravitated toward it, and then I decided that I have a story to tell. When am I going to tell my stories? I can't take them to the grave. And then when I I, I started reading about all the different uh, ways you could write and all the reasons you should write, 
I decided that to do the purposeful writing first, uh, the first two books. Uh, uh, one, I was a, a, a teacher, and I was in the teachers' union, and uh, there was a gentleman who had been uh, the, uh, president of teachers' union for 25 years. All of that history was going to go to the grave with him. So I wrote Giant for Justice about this uh, person, Bill Simon. So I did the history book. And then as a teacher, I thought that there's a certain way you should teach youth in the church. And I wrote The Miracles of Jesus. Use The Miracles of Jesus because uh, there's so much drama in The Miracles of Jesus. You teach it doing role-playing. And then there was a need to write that book. And then um, uh, at my age, so many of us are sick and ailing and everything. And then I wrote, you can move your mountains. Keep pushing with your mountain moving faith. Uh, Use Jesus as an example. So the purposeful writing, there was a need to do it. And if not now, when? And I'd like all of you to ask that question. If not now, when? That's a great question. Not now, when? when. Mm -hmm. So if you're feeling lazy now, when are you going to feel any less lazy? I think, Bernice, I'm like Christine. I've always been, um, I've always had the gift of writing, and it really truly is a blessing um, because, you know, I know it doesn't come easily for other people. And so I bring that to the table, that sensitivity to the table when I'm dealing with writers in the genealogist writing room and with clients. But I've written eight books over my career. I've been a freelance writer. I've written for probably 20-some-odd magazines and newspapers. Um, you know, I've always loved to interview people and write those stories up. So I just love, I gravitate to the story. I love to hear stories, to read stories, and to tell stories, to share the life connector, you know, stuff that makes us feel like we have more in common than otherwise, right? So I've always written. I've always loved books. Like I was that crazy kid who couldn't wait for the bookmobile to come to (laughs) school so I could beg a quarter from my mother and get a couple of books. Um, so I just, I've always loved to read. I've always loved to write. And I totally understand that it doesn't come easily for everybody. But I will tell you that the more you write, the less intimidating mm-hmm. and the less difficult it is for you. And when you're writing what you know about, it, mm-hmm. it makes it even easier. Okay? Write what yes. you know. Write what you know. Now, there's a question, and they they want to know, well, do you write in longhand or on a computer? Oh, I cringe when people say write in longhand. I have two colleagues who write in longhand all the time, and I just think that is amazing. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like I can't even think with a notepad and a pen in my hand. I, I write on my laptop. Yeah. Um, I feel like sometimes I'm in a trance, and Bernice, you probably can relate. Sometimes I'm mm-hmm. in a trance when I'm writing, and my fingers are just going. And I could—I don't even have to be looking at the screen. I'm just typing all over the place. So I'm a—I'm a digital writer, mm-hmm. um, but I do journal. 
I, you know, I journal with uh, my actual journal book and a pen, but to write out a story, I'm on the laptop. I do everything on the computer, compose on the computer. And if you're you're writing it first uh, with a pen and then you got to go back and type it, that might be why you uh, are feeling that it's stressful. Compose at the computer. You can edit at the computer. You can run spell check at the end. But, yes. Compose at the uh, computer, uh, and you will find that you're not doing double work. Okay. Well, do you two have any closing remarks before we close out tonight? Anita? Well, I'll just reiterate what I said, which is write often. You know, don't. Wait until you think you feel like writing because if you already approach writing as difficult, you're never going to feel like it. So schedule the time, as Christine said. Schedule the time and make yourself sit down and write, even if it's just for 15 or 30 minutes. Practice writing often. Write what you know. Um, use an outline, some kind of form of a sketchy little outline. It's better than nothing at all. It helps you know where you're starting and where you're going to end. And then I encourage you to connect with other writers for support and for ideas and for encouragement. Uh, And um, just remember that you have enough in your genealogy research to start writing. You have more than enough to get started, so get started. And I want to review all the reasons why people should write books. To further your career, to tell life stories, to further a cause to record the local history before it is forgotten, uh, to share knowledge, to entertain, to instruct, and to fulfill an inner need. And those are wonderful reasons why people should write. So everyone, I just want to thank Anita Henderson and Christine Eastling for sharing their knowledge and enthusiasm for writing with us tonight. And please remember, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and Beyond and your writing. So you can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and Beyond and the Afrogenius Facebook pages, as well as join the Genealogist Writing Room. That's on Facebook, but you can also become a member. Also, remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday and also watch for the Black Progen Live with host Nika Soul Smith. And I want everyone to know that the writing track with the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute is where you will want to be next July. So thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. I look forward to all of you 
joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I'm so happy to be celebrating my sixth year of broadcasting with Blog Talk Radio. Good night, everyone. Good night, Anita and Christine. Good night. Good night, ladies. Thanks again. Bye-bye, everybody. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.